is uh, great to be with you this morning. We are uh, continuing in our series through the Gospel of John. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to John 8, verse 31. And we'll pick up there in a moment. Uh, For context, what we've been studying through over the last few weeks is uh, Jesus in Jerusalem at the Festival of Tabernacles. And he's had a number of ongoing interactions with the crowds who are gathered there in Jerusalem and with the religious elite and the leaders who are there. The religious elite are plotting to kill him and through the course of these days have actually attempted to arrest him several times. And yet Jesus is still there, often in the temple courts, teaching the crowds with very mixed results. So if you go back and read the verses leading up to today, you'll see over and over again, he'll say something controversial. Some people will step forward and believe in him, and others will take a step back into disbelief. But then this is what we read next. We're picking up in verse 31. He says, To the Jews who had believed in him, to those who had stepped forward in response, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in my father's presence and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Let's pray. Jesus, we uh, all find ourselves this morning as human beings uh, in the messiness of human life, in the messiness of a fallen world. And uh, if we could 
sort of do a, an x-ray almost of our, of our souls, of our minds, of the, the map that we've made of reality, every single one of us in this room would have uh, sections and narratives that are true and sections and narratives that are false. And so as we come to you uh, humbly as your disciples or even those of us in the room who aren't disciples yet but who are uh, drawing near, who are curious, who are exploring, Lord, I pray uh, that it would be clear to us this morning in the power of the Spirit that a journey after you is a journey into truth. It's a, it's a journey into truth, and you say that the truth will set us free. So would you come, Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth, uh, would you come into this place now? Would you touch our hearts? Would you touch our minds? Would you touch our souls, Lord? And would you breathe truth into the places where we've been believing lies? In Jesus' name, amen. In the beginning, God creates humanity in his image, in his likeness, and he places them in wonderful relationship with him and with the good world that he has created. Their job is to partner with God and with one another uh, to be his ambassadors in the world. And so within that job description, they are to marry, they're to multiply, they're to work the ground and subdue it. They're to take the borders of the Garden of Eden, this God-soaked garden-like temple space, and they're to advance those borders out into creation. And so part of their job was to take this light and advance it into the darkness. It was to take this ordered beauty and advance it into chaos. But notice uh, that what happens in the garden is that uh, chaos comes for them. Chaos does not wait outside of the garden to be subdued. Rather, uh, chaos, the very source of chaos and darkness in the universe, uh, manifests itself as a serpent and comes into the garden. It's not waiting on the defensive, it is now on the offensive, coming for Adam and Eve, seeking to derail what God has only just set in motion. But notice that when the enemy comes for Adam and Eve, seething with anger and hatred, he comes not with the physical forces of destruction that we prefer to unleash on our enemies, but rather he comes with an idea. which proves in the end to actually be far more effective. Ideas shape reality. Ideas have power. He could have tried to physically attack these image bearers of God and overpower them. But if they are rooted in God and walking in his power and authority, he probably wouldn't have made it very far. Instead, the most sinister means of destroying God's image bearers is to pit them against God and to pit them against each other. Try to destroy two image bearers who are walking in his love and power and authority and partnership and you won't get very far. 
uh, but pit them against God and against one another, and you can disrupt the entire world. It's one thing to destroy Cain and Abel. It's another thing entirely to get Cain to kill Abel, destroying himself in the process. And for that, you need ideas. Ideas that cut, ideas that stick, ideas that sink down deep into the human mind and consciousness. Set the right ideas in motion and the rest will play itself out beautifully. So the enemy comes to them with an idea. What if God wasn't telling the truth? What if he isn't trustworthy? What if he were holding out on you, holding you back? What if you could become like God? Wouldn't that be something? He drops an idea, and the result is chaos. Rebellion, sin, death. Adam and Eve turn on God and each other, and their children do the same, and their descendants are still doing the same thing to this very day. Why? Why are we doing that? Truth and lies. Several days ago, we experienced one of the deadliest racist massacres in recent American history. When an 18-year-old male entered a store in Buffalo, New York, and gunned down Americans simply because they were black. And I actually happened to be there in New York, uh, just a few hours away in New York City, when we got the news. And the very first line of the very first news article that I read about this event said this. It said, and I think we have a slide for this, it says, a teenage gunman entranced by white supremacist ideology, and then the article went on. But what's ideology? Think about that. It's a set of ideas. And ideas are potent. There's a famous slogan that says, guns don't kill people, people kill people. Why? Why do we do that? Ideas. And when Satan stands before God in judgment, I don't know what he'll say, but he might be able to say, I didn't kill anyone. I don't have the power and authority to do that. Or said another way, Satan doesn't kill people. People kill people based on the ideas that he gives them. He might not have authority to kill anyone, but he doesn't need it. 
just give people nationalism and racism and Nazism and communism. Give them sets of poisonous ideas and they will kill each other. Not by the millions, but by the hundreds of millions. Give them ideas that are not true. Ideas that don't correspond to reality. And these false ideas, these false ideologies, they enslave us on every level. Individuals, families, nation states, all of us can be enslaved by false ideas and ideologies. At the level of the nation state, our culture has been captivated by secularism, which is an ideology. It is a set of ideas that go together. And it would take me an hour to trace the history historically of how we got here. But our current culture is a mix of modernism and postmodernism. Modernism came first. Uh, it was born out of the Enlightenment in the 17th century, uh, which is an ironic term to use because the Enlightenment was actually the moment when culturally speaking, we began to depart from the light and choose our own way. But the Enlightenment and the modernism that came out of it said this, what if God wasn't telling the truth? What if he isn't trustworthy? What if he doesn't even exist? Did God really say? What if religion were holding out on you, were holding you back? What if you didn't need all of that stuff? What if the universe was all just atoms and molecules? bumping into each other. Then you could be the center of the universe. Then you could become like God. Wouldn't that be something? And off it went. Humans were reduced to biological machines, which arose out of random chance, who can follow whatever impulses they want and do whatever they like. And that sounds very liberating at the start. It was presented as liberation. But ultimately, you are imprisoned in a universe without purpose where the only meaning you can attain is chasing your own pleasure. But the more you chase pleasure in the absence of God, the more enslaved you become to Satan's sin and death. So this alternative ideology was presented. This is freedom. This will liberate you. And the end result was slavery. We're enslaved to our impulses, enslaved to sin. Uh, we are now uh, stripped of our biblical identity. We are a sack of cells in an accidental, meaningless universe chasing our broken desires and impulses. We were enslaved by the very thing we were told would set us free. And postmodernism is different. In fact, in some ways it's very different than modernism, but in some ways it's also very similar. 
Uh, postmodernism was sort of almost a reaction against the dry mechanical modernist views. Instead of uh, atoms and molecules being ultimate reality, uh, the mind was made to ultimate reality. And so that's where we've come into this place in this culture where the only thing that's true, the only thing that exists, the only thing I can trust in is my own mind. I cannot trust external data. I cannot trust any source of revelation or external power or external authority. The only thing that exists is my mind and what I think is true. This is where we get the phrase, uh, your truth is your truth. Modernism never would have said that. They would have said, no, there's one truth based on what we can uh, know of atoms and molecules. Postmodernism is very different. It says, no, my truth is my truth. Everything is, is relative. The mind is the only real thing. Nothing is transcendent. Nothing is objective. It's just you lost in your own mind. So it's a very, very different set of ideas, but the end result is still the same. Instead of being imprisoned in a purposeless universe of atoms and molecules, you are imprisoned within uh, the subjective realm of your own mind. Nothing else can be trusted. And so you arrive functionally at the same place. You have no hope, no future, no sense of the transcendent, no connection with the divine. You're, you're, you're in prison, you're cut off from all of those things. So we have these, uh, on the cultural level, we have ideologies that enslave us. On, on sort of massive levels, by the millions, we get enslaved by false ideologies. Uh, in the passage we read this morning, uh, Jesus said, hey, if you really want to be free, come follow me. Like this is where true freedom from your real enemies will be found. But notice the response of the crowds. The crowds say, we're already free. We don't need your freedom. We've always been free. We're, we're sons of Abraham. We're sons of the Exodus. In fact, they're celebrating the Exodus that weekend in the background. We aren't slaves of anyone. And then Jesus goes on to explain, hey, actually, in a very real way, you are slaves. You, you are slaves to sin. Would it be any different today? Jesus would come and say, hey, if you want to be free, if you want the true exodus from true Egypt, then come follow me. And the crowds of Western secularism would say, we're already free. We're sons of the enlightenment. Children of postmodernism. We've never been slaves of anyone. We're the most free people in the world. We've thrown off every religion, every external authority, every moral truth. By definition, we are not bound to anyone or anything. I'm not bound to my own family or my own country or even my own gender. I am bound to nothing. I am absolutely free in the way that the secular mind conceives of freedom. We are the most free people in the world. And if Jesus was standing right here this morning, I think he would say the same thing he said 2,000 years ago. Oh, don't you know? 
don't you know that you're slaves to the one that you obey? You don't recognize it. The Jews didn't recognize it. But you're listening to your father. You're carrying out his desires and his vision for humanity. Everyone who lives a life of sin is a slave to sin. And you're so deep in that bondage. You're so confused. You are so enslaved that I would literally have to bleed and die to set you free. That's the only way out. Remember that in the words of Jesus, Satan has come to, quote, steal, kill, and destroy. And he does that not through brute force, but by hijacking image bearers via deceptive ideas. In fact, some of the names for uh, the Satan, which can also be translated the adversary or the enemy, some of the names for this sort of nameless enemy are the deceiver, the accuser, and the liar. If you really boil it down, what is this enemy? What is this source of evil? Jesus says in today's passage, yeah, he's a liar. He's the father of lies. When he lies, he speaks his native language. There is no truth in him. And so as the enemy comes to undermine humanity, it's going to play out at every level. You're going to have false ideologies that are warring for the heart of the culture at sort of the nation state level. Who are we as a people? In our country, that's modernism and postmodernism, warring against a biblical worldview. Uh, in other countries, it's Buddhism or Hinduism or a dozen others that sort of seek to capture the heart of, a, uh, of the culture through false ideologies. But the same thing, the same tactics are being used at the local level, at, at the level of a church or a family or an individual. If we were to open up our own hearts this morning with honesty, we would find lies that we are carrying. And they look different than the, than the lies that are spun at the sort of cultural nation-state level. But, but Satan doesn't just lie to nations. He lies to individuals. He lies to us. In fact, I could ask you this morning as an exercise, what is your greatest temptation? Think about that for a second probably a little bit different for each one of us, but the thing that really hits hard, that pulls you, that draws you, that perhaps is a weekly or even a daily battle, the thing you might be embarrassed to just say out loud. Well, there's a lie embedded in that temptation. A lie about what will complete you. What will give you value or affirmation or love or satisfaction? It's a lie about where life is ultimately found. And the reason that temptation hits so incredibly hard sometimes is that there's seasons when we believe the lie. When, when we begin to believe, you know what? I think life actually is found there. And, and God's holding out on me. 
Like, I know there's a no, according to my religion or, or whatever. I'm not supposed to do that, but deep in my heart, I think that's actually where life is found. I'm just not supposed to. And, and so we battle our temptations through, through willpower. Oh, I want that. That's where life is found, but I really need, I just shouldn't do it. I, I think sometimes our temptations are better defeated, not through willpower or even accountability, but through truth. It's us waking up to the reality, no, that's an illusion. That is not where life is actually found. And you will be amazed how quickly that temptation begins to evaporate. Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What about your greatest fear? Can you name it? Do you know what it is? Because I bet you a million dollars it's based on a lie. I don't have a million dollars, to be clear. <laughs> Deep down, under your fear, under your daily anxiety, under your restlessness and your striving, there's a lie. A lie about who you are, about what you're worth, about what God thinks of you, about what God is like. If we actually took time to dig into the depths of our fear and anxiety, past the surface level experience and emotion and get down with God and say, Lord, where is this coming from? Why am I so anxious? Why am I so fearful? Why am I afraid of others? Whatever it is, we would all find lies that we are convinced are true. And sometimes they're subtle, but they're things that we believe about ourselves or that we believe about God that are actually from the pit of hell. And we carry them and they direct us and they shape us and they limit us. We're carrying those lies. Scriptures say perfect love, perfect love casts out fear. Or said another way, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The reality is that all of us are carrying around some amount of lies about who we are or who God is or what God is like. Is God stingy? This is one I wrestle with a lot, historically. Is God stingy or is God generous? What do I actually, my life will be a reflection. What I do with my money will be a reflection of what I truly believe about God. Is God stingy or is God generous? Whew, that's been one of mine. Is God after our best or is he after something else? Is God trustworthy or is he not trustworthy? Should you only trust in yourself? The postmodernism, I can only trust in my own self. 
Does God know what's best for us and best for humanity, or should we collectively define good and evil for ourselves? Because we think we can do it better. Do I have the righteousness of Christ, or is it up to me? The way I live will display what I actually believe. Do I truly believe I have his righteousness as a gift by grace? Am I forgiven or am I irreversibly stained? Am I acceptable and accepted or will I be rejected by God and others? Am I already blessed by my heavenly Father and now able to live out of that blessing or am I subtly believing the lie that I need to earn and work and strive and prove myself to myself and to God and to others? Am I a son or a daughter with a permanent place in the home or am I a slave? a second-class spiritual citizen. Some of us wrestle with this our whole lives. Carrying around lies and half-truths that slowly suffocate our souls and suck the joy out of life with God. When When my walk with Jesus becomes a dull obligation, it's probably because I'm believing a lie. Jesus comes and he says, I am the truth. He says that about himself. He's he's the very embodiment of truth. So in some sense, our discipleship, our journey chasing after God, is a journey into greater and greater truth. Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This explains a lot of what we do, by the way. We gather week in and week out on a Sunday morning to to hear and celebrate the truth of the gospel. We read scripture, not once a week, but daily, because it roots us in what's true, in what God is actually like. Uh, This is why we engage in biblical community, both here but throughout the week in small groups and one-on-one. We need biblical community because that's where we confess, where we we repent, where where we work out. Man, this is how I'm actually feeling. This is what I'm actually believing. And we have brothers and sisters who can look us in the eye and with love tell us the truth. The, The truth that will set us free. We all need a space to just be human with all of its messiness, a a place where we can discern and discover the truth together. We want to know the truth, the truth about God, the truth about Jesus, the truth about the cross and the resurrection, the, the truth behind simple words like, it is finished. I want to know know the truth behind that. I want to live 
and experience the truth behind that. Because ultimately that truth is liberating. It says that truth will set you free. So as we close this morning, I want to create a few minutes of space for us to wrestle with the lies that we carry. And to be honest, the best way that I've experienced to really wrestle and uproot lies is in silence and solitude. Like I don't even know what lies I'm believing until I get alone with God, maybe with a Bible and a journal out in like Riverside State Park for an hour or more. Uh, and half of you have babies and don't even, don't, can't even go to the bathroom, you know, without like a second adult around. Uh, so an hour in the woods alone, I know that sounds very idealistic uh, based on where we're at as a community. But for me, when I get those times, that's when I actually get to the truth. Like all I know in the moment is I feel anxious. I feel tempted. I feel this. I feel that. But I don't know why. I actually need time and space to slow down, to take a deep breath, to sort through, to, to trace this chain of causation down into what we would describe as the subconscious. Like, what's the thing I'm believing? What's the thing beneath the things? So for me, I've found that silence and solitude is one of the best ways to, to arrive to answer that question. What, what's the lie that I'm believing? Uh, we don't have an hour of silence and solitude. Uh, and even if we did, we would hear the constant running of children above our heads, and it wouldn't be that quiet anyhow. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to take five minutes, but I want us to take five minutes and slow down and take a deep breath, uh, and God can do stuff in five minutes, okay? Uh, this is meaningful. And so the first question that I want us to wrestle with for five minutes is, what are the lies that I wrestle with the most? And I believe during this time, the Lord can easily bring one or two or three instantly to mind that this is, this is my struggle, to believe in God's grace, to believe in, in whatever it is. Uh, Glendia, I was so thankful for that testimony you gave. And I was just reflecting like, wow, you had to walk through, you had to sort out lies. If, if you have a testimony like that, if you have any testimony, if you've been human, but I was specifically just thinking, oh man, if, if you are a young woman who's had an abortion, you will have to face the lies of the enemy. He will come after you to steal, to kill, and destroy with things that are not true in Christ. So we have to, we, each one of us is coming from a different place, from a different perspective, but we have to begin asking that question. Lord, what hits the hardest for me? Uh, what are the lies that I wrestle with the most? So I'm gonna pray for a moment, uh, and then we're going to take five minutes, and then I'm actually going to jump up again and pose one more question before we worship together. So let's pray. Jesus, uh, we love you, Lord. Uh, we do, and we can become so confused and so mixed up and uh, have uh, strange ideas about you and about ourselves and about the gospel and about what's true and what's not. Uh, and if there's anything that's oddly true, of human beings, it's that we're strangely drawn to lies. And there's a whole science behind it. YouTube knows it. They know by their algorithms, we are strangely drawn to the things that are not true and they feel true to us. And so would you come Holy Spirit uh, as the spirit of truth and begin highlighting for us, we only have a few minutes, but would you just begin highlighting for us, what, what are the lies that I'm carrying? Uh, what are the things that I'm believing? that simply are not true. Come now, speak to your children.
in Jesus' name. question. What does Jesus want to speak over those lies? If you have one or two or three things in mind that you wrestle with now, now we're just going to ask and invite Jesus and the Holy Spirit to come and say, Jesus, now come and remind me what's true. So we say, Holy Spirit, come. Come and speak to each one. Would you come as the, as the encourager, as the comforter, as the very embodiment of truth? Jesus, would you come now and speak to your children? 